it's so good to have you here. Today I will address a very urgent and vital issue. Leadership in the local church. Now the urgency and significance of this issue may not be readily perceived or even understood by quote-unquote the normal church goer, the one who comes in just to sit and listen and that's it. We might not be aware of the urgency of the need for godly leadership. But for those who are already church leaders, as well as for seminaries and for Bible schools that train men and women for the ministry, the need for godly leadership is much more urgent and pressing than I can express myself at this particular time. Just about every study, in fact, that I have done in the past few months and even before in the area of church leadership, and I'm always looking and doing research in this area myself. One thing that has always been emphasized is the lack of trained, godly men for leadership in the church. There's no training institute that does not put this as one of the most significant needs in the church today. Now, as a result of this lack, the quality and effectiveness of the church overall are being adversely affected today. All you have to do is turn on your radio or look at the TV, and you will see the kind of quality leadership we have today. Mediocre, to say the least. The church is not what it should be because it lacks qualified leadership. In fact, the church, the local church especially, lacks the overall active participation of men with a passion to serve Jesus Christ in general, not just in the leadership capacity, but generally speaking. I believe this was made quite clear to us several weeks ago when we were talking about our ministries here at Calvary Bible Church. The recurrent cry was for what? More men. More men to be involved in the ministry. Right now, as was announced today, we're looking for five men to become deacons because five will be leaving at the end of the year. But we're not only looking for men. We're looking for good men. We're not even just looking for good men. We're looking for good, godly men. We're looking for godly leadership because that's what God requires in the Word of God for His ministry. Here's a quote from one of my former seminary professors and with whom I served, of all things, as his tape director. Nathan would call it media director. Did you believe that was my ministry for three years? Taking his messages, putting it on the tape, editing it and everything else and distributing it to the people. His name is Dr. Jane Getz. You had the privilege of working with him for over three years while attending the church there. He's written a book It's called Elders and Leaders. Now, I like Dr. Jack, Dr. Getz. That's because he seems to agree with everything I agree with. So I like him because of that. This is what he said. 
if we fail to understand and apply biblical principles regarding local church leadership, the church members we lead will simply not become all that God intended them to become as believers. What is that? To become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4. We will not experience God's greatest blessings in our ministry. End of quote. Now I believe that to be true. I believe that is a actual reflection of the teaching of the word of God. But as I said, we must not only emphasize that we need a few more good men. We need a few more godly men to fill the position of deaconship, of deacons as well as to serve in the ministry here at Calvary Bible Church. We need men who now fit as well, who are, as, well as men who are prepared to do what is necessary to become fit to be leaders of the people of God we purchase with his own blood. And so what I'm saying is now, we need to realize that we need to begin to train and to prepare young men for leadership positions. And that is one of my focuses in the few remaining years that the Lord may give me. I'm probably saying, well, maybe months. But that's a focus because it's a real need. It's one of the greatest needs of the church today godly male leadership. And so my purpose today is to provide you, again, because we've done this throughout the years here, with a biblical perspective of both the role and qualifications of men in leadership positions in the church and who serve in any capacity, for instance, in fact, in the church for the glory of God. We want to show what the Bible says about these men and what is required, what are the qualifications. Now, this will not be your regular run-of-the-mill sermon on leadership. Instead, it will be a biblical and historical overview of how God developed men for service in the church of Jesus Christ. These messages, because this is just one of several I will be doing in this area, will challenge some long-held traditional beliefs concerning church leadership. In fact, some of you will think that I'm just speaking, uh, I'm giving a pie-in-the-sky kind of picture for the church because it'll be so radically different from what so many experience. But I want to assure you what we'll be talking about is what I believe to be God's will for the church of Jesus Christ when it comes to male leadership. I believe as we go through it, you'll see how far we have departed from the word of God and God's will when it comes to church organization and men in the church. We will be looking at the directives from the manual of the owner of the church himself, not a denominational or a man-made polity. And remember this, God himself says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways, my thoughts higher than yours. We're going to see that when it comes to leadership in the church. Let me begin then with an opening basic proposition or thesis. And it reads this way. Male leadership is God's divinely appointed means 
for establishing strong homes and churches. I want you to know I'm probably going to lose a lot of women friends today. <laughs> and let me say, I'm going to be saying some things, I'm going to be making some statements, propositions from the Word that probably should go, and be, go into a little bit more detail to explain. That's why this evening we will allow, allow time for questions and looking up some of the details that are related to some of these propositions. So just remember that, and so if you have something you really want to fight about, come out tonight, and we'll be dealing with it at that time. And so my purpose here is to emphasize the importance of male leadership overall, but especially in the home and in the church, because from a biblical perspective, these two roles are intricately and inseparably linked together, the home and the church, especially when it comes to leadership. Hear the word of God. 1 Timothy 3, verse 4. He's speaking about the qualifications of a pastor or an elder. And as I said, we'll be showing this. We believe that a pastor, an elder, a bishop, an overseer refer to the same individual. God did not divide them into different positions. Man did that. All right? Pastor, elder, bishop, overseer refers to the same person, same position. He must be one who manages his own household well. Notice that. Well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So you see, one of the first places we need to look when we're looking at men who will take leadership role as a pastor or as a deacon, because both of these are required, is the home. Who's the boss? <laughs> if you see a man, a husband who's ruled by his wife, he should not have leadership position in the church because he ruined the church the same way he ruins his home. All right? Now, in this passage, the he refers to a man. Because I'm going to be strong on this point because I believe when it comes to Leadership in the church and leadership in the home, the emphasis is on the man, the male. I preached this one time at another church, and I call him a male man. Because they got a lot of men who are not males. In more than one, in more than one way. But this is, a, this is a qualification that relates to both pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, and a deacon. How a man, and notice again I say it's man, not a woman. God is speaking about male leadership in both the church and the home. To put it bluntly, any man who allows his wife to rule the roost is not fit or qualified to believe to be a leader of the people of God. God says that, not me. And no matter how sincere or faithful he may be in other ministries, if his wife is his boss, he's not fit to be a deacon, not fit to be a pastor, not fit to be an elder, a bishop, or an overseer. If you do it, you're going to have trouble in the leadership. And that's how closely linked the family is to the church. Now we will see this principle 
concerning this link more and more as we go through these messages, as we look at the qualifications for pastors and for deacons. But this leads directly into another biblical principle. It is this. According to his divinely written manual, it is God's divinely established will and purpose that men are to lead the home and the church, not women. That's just repeating what I've said. But I want to repeat it. Because today, this is being neglected. This is being abused. This is not even being looked at. We are having more women pastors in the Bahamas than men pastors coming in now. You see. Glad you said amen and not a woman. Anyway. <laughs> now as we validate biblically as we go through the series of messages, you're going to see there's absolutely, absolutely no biblical basis for woman to be the primary leader in the home or the church. Of course, now we know, having said that, that sin has entered into the human experience. And this truth, this principle has not been adhered to, adhered to due to many circumstances such as the absence of a father from a home due to having children out of wedlock. Or because of adulterous situations where there's more than one woman involved. Or the fact that the father is not a Christian. Or if he is, he's not a growing one. Or the wife herself is just a bossy, domineering individual. Or today, making more money than the father. And once she's making more money, she's the boss. In the case of the churches, members don't care about what the Bible say about who are qualified to lead a church. Good businessman, he being around here long enough, that's all right. And so we disregard the teaching of the word of God to run his church. God has a remedy, of course, for all of these situations caused by sin. Because remember this, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I thank God for that. So these situations can be addressed. But just remember, sometimes we get ourselves in certain situations that just eliminate us from leadership position. We have to realize that. And sometimes it's hard to apply, difficult. But if you're going to be true to God rather than true to man... We must go by what God says. But let's look at the biblical validation now for these propositions concerning leadership. First of all, let's look at the biblical validation for leadership in the home. The fact of man's divine appointment as a leader in the home. Listen to the scriptures. Now again, I said, women, I love all of you. You know, all in the past friendship that we had, I can remember them quite a bit. Ephesians 5.22, wives, be subject. Ooh, boy. Them is fighting words. But let me say this. How many of you all saw, were here to see the uh, Truth Project movies? Oh, boy, only a few. But you remember, he made it out so beautifully. Although I've said it before, but nobody listens to me. But when they see it over here, all of a sudden, look like being a revelation. Anyway, remember he was talking about the Trinity? 
And he made the point that the son is submissive to the father. The spirit is submissive to the son. Now, is there anything wrong with that? And he said this. He said, submissiveness is a divine trait. Get that, ladies. Submissiveness is a divine attribute, characteristic, because there's submissiveness within the context of the triune God. So a woman can be no more like God than when she's submissive to her husband. Now you gotta you gotta mull that one over. Huh? Submissiveness is one of the most beautiful characteristics a woman could demonstrate if you understand what it is. Come out tonight to talk about that. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. I did not write this last night. All right? Husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Another passage, 1 Peter 3, 1. In the same way, this goes back to 1 Peter 2, where Jesus, in spite of doing good, he was still persecuted, still harmed and everything else. But he, 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 he submitted himself to God to take up all of the situation. Now he's saying, in the same way that Christ did this, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. The same way God was submissive to the Father in the midst of difficult times. Even when he was persecuted for doing what is right. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without the word by the behavior of the wives. I believe more unsaved husbands would come to Christ if, in the home if the Christian wife would just shut up her mouth. And stop preaching and just live. That's what this text says. That's what this text says. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, the holy women who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves. Now, how did they adorn themselves? By being submissive to their own husbands. That's an adornment. They made their faith, their hope in God to be beautiful. How? By being submissive to their husbands. The husband is the head of the home. Now, it is not my intention at this point to try to defend or explain away the truth and the force of these passages. I have no intention of doing that. God said it. I believe it. You should believe it. That should settle it. But now let's focus, let's focus on the local church. Let's focus on the local church. The validation for this. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now I praise you because you remember me and everything and hold firmly to traditions as I delivered them to you. The traditions here are the teachings of the word of God. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of man. Every man. And the man is the head of the woman. And God is the head of Christ. And then it goes on to talk about head covering. And I can talk about it. I want that can give me more trouble again. All right? But my main point here is just to say here the validation concerning the man as being the divinely appointed head 
Remember, he did not work for it. He did not buy it. He did not deserve it. It's just something God did. God chose to choose to make the man the head. All right? Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. That order is another reason why you can be emphasizing some order in the church. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to be subject themselves, as the law says. Now, I'm not going to deal with what this means to speak and everything else, but uh, in the context here, I don't think it has to do with mean that women can't sing or anything else like that. That is something different. Come out tonight, we'll deal with this in detail, if you want to. All right. Now, here's another one. Here's another. I read in all the troubled passages for women today. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, this is a hot one. First Timothy, I'm sorry. First Timothy, thank you, Paul. This is one. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. The context is from men. But now that word submissive there in the context has to do with a receptive spirit or attitude is the idea. Don't fight it. Because in the context, you have where uh, the men were fighting with one another and they were struggling about things. And you have to read the context to see the impacts. What he's saying is here, when the men are teaching, please don't argue, don't fight back with them. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Why? It was not, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is one of the most difficult passages to interpret in Scripture, but I got it all figured out. I know exactly what it means. So if you want to know what it means, come out tonight at 6.30. <laughs> No, but specifically here, just to show you, I'm trying, all I'm trying to do now is validate the concept of the head of the man over the woman. That's all I'm trying to do right now. The other things I'll try. But in this context, I believe there's a difference here, and you've got to see the context. You remember in the New Testament times, it's how, what, masters and teachers, right? I'm sorry, masters and disciples. Masters and disciples. If you were disciples with somebody, you were committed to accepting everything that teacher said. The spiritual authority in your life was your master. See the point? In other words, the authority went along with the teaching position. So when a person taught, they were demonstrating authority. You understand? That's not true today. I teach. But everybody say, that's foolishness, man. What? I ain't hear that. I ain't gonna listen to it. They could argue with me, fight with me, do everything else. But you couldn't do that to your master. That's the context this is used with here. I believe with the woman. He's talking about the woman who is teaching in a sense of authority. And therefore, from my perspective, I separate the position from the gift. I have no problems listening to a woman preach. One, she's not preaching as a pastor or an elder or bishop or an overseer. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's not in the role of an authority in the church. So I believe there's a difference between a pastor in the position and a pastor as a gift. I believe women have the gift of pastoring. They pastor other women, men or women, care for them, lead them in certain spiritual areas. That's the gift. But not when it comes to position. And we'll explain that a little bit more when we look at the other passages. But look at one more, if that's not enough. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. And this is the important one. Well, all of these are important. 
I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. These are the things we just read in Timothy. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Paul is saying, why I am writing these things to you about men and women and so on, their roles, is because I want you to know how to behave in the church. He's talking about order. You see, and if, they don't, if we have our people behaving other than the way Paul describes here, there will be disorder in the church and disharmony. You see, disorder and disharmony. What is, so what he's saying here is his instructions are for the express purpose of telling us how God wants us to order things in the local church. This Bible is God's manual for church order. And remember, he is a God of order he does everything for a purpose and it's always an orderly purpose if you see anything that is chaotic god is not there and you see two people fighting bickering god is not in the middle of that see if we ignore his instructions the reward is this the 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 the, 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 the uh, consequences are disorder in the church but now that he, not that he had to, but God gives us the reason why he has given man his position. Let's look at the ba basis for the appointment of man as head in the church and in the home. First of all, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, A man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman. Here is the basis. First in priority, I call this, the divine order of creation. It, on the first basis for the headship of man over the woman in the home or the church, the divine order of creation. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. But then there's another reason. It's given in 1 Timothy 2, verse 13. We saw this before. And this has to do with the same basic reason. For it was Adam who was first created, priority in creation, then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But then he gives the second reasons for man leadership position. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 3, this is the divine order of authority. He says, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. This is the divine order of authority. But there's a third reason given in 1 Timothy 2.14. This is the historic order of the fall. We read this as well, but this is another reason. If it was, it was uh, it's verse 14. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, ladies and men, understand this. God is not saying here that woman is by nature easy to be deceived. Some preachers preach that. That's not what he's being taught in this passage. He's simply saying that's the way it happened. It wasn't Adam who was first deceived. It was Eve. That's the way it happened. And that's one of the reasons God says man is to have headship. You want me to explain it more than that? I can't do that. If you have any problems with it, go talk to God when you leave here. That's all you could do right now, but not out loud, please. He gives a fourth reason or validation. He says in Ephesians 5.22, this is, again, the command of Jesus Christ, the command of Jesus Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands. That's not a suggestion. 
All right? That's not a suggestion. That's, you don't have an option here. That's a command. You see? Then look at 1 Peter 3, 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive. That's a command to your own husbands. That's a command. It's the command of Christ. It's a biblical imperative. Now, I realize that many of you have questions, and many have been offended already by some of these things that have been read from the Word of God. Sorry about that. I will not try to change the Scriptures or to appease your dissatisfaction. But I will be opening the floor this evening to respond to your questions. So I want some time to get all kind of the fence and stuff like that. Look some bodyguards and all that. But come out this evening. I'll give a time for that before going into the second message tonight. And so if you are a true Berean, you know, those who would search the scriptures to see if the preacher is right, then come out this evening and we could talk. But now, let's look at some of the consequences or the results if God's manual for church order is not carried out. In fact, in the church or the home, let's look at consequences of not following God's order in the home as far as male, ship, male leadership is concerned. First of all, in the home, if the male is not leading, the female becomes manipulative. She does what she wants and she all, uses all kinds of ways to get it done. The male becomes compliant, passive, in other words. The woman becomes aggressive. To use psychological terms, the man becomes passive. In this relationship, his managerial role is compromised. This happened back with Adam. He sat back when he was supposed to step forward. The woman stepped forward when she was supposed to stay back. You see? And the Bible says that men are to be the managers of their home and to manage their homes well. And if we do not do this, the wrong person is going to lead. And because the man doesn't do that, he just falls into the background. Everything the way I say, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. No matter what it is. Can I have a hundred dollars? Yes, dear. Can I have a million dollars? Yes, dear. He ain't hear no more what she's saying because he's just yes, dearing. But secondly... The female becomes dominant, the male passive, as I said. Here, his authoritative role is compromised. Jezebel is a good illustration of this. She just took over. Fine, that's what's it. You know, if Jezebel could meet his needs, yeah, but that's fine. But his authoritative role is compromised. But then third, also, the male fails to be a role model because... Male is supposed to be a role model as far as leadership and direction is concerned. This encourages rebellious children and an overall disregard for authority. Eli, Eli is a good example here. He didn't discipline, reprimand his boys when he should have. You know the story. Here his teaching role is compromised. The father is supposed to be the head teacher in the home of his wife as well as of his children. Now, the reverse roles could also lead to homosexuality sexuality in the home. This is being demonstrated from a psychological point of view when these roles are reversed. But then fourthly, the male fails to provide adequately for his family. And of course, First Timothy says that if a man does not provide for his family, he's worse than a pagan, he's worse than an unbeliever. And that's what happens in a home. And the male does not take the leadership. And women, you encourage her when you feed him. 
The Bible says if a man could work, if it doesn't work, don't let him eat. And the more you feed that man sitting down, laying down, watching to you while you're working, the more you can destroy your home, your relationship, and everything else. The Bible is very clear on that, you see. In this, in this aspect, his provider, or his role as provider, is compromised. All right? And then finally, in the home, the male fails to properly understand his wife and treat her as a woman. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 3, 7, that we are to live with our wives in an understanding way. We are to give her honor as what? As a, well, recognizing what? She is the heir of the grace of life. The heir of the grace. Now, I personally mean, believe that that means that God looks at the woman on the, as on the same level with the man when it comes to producing children, procreating. If there's one place where a woman is an equal with a man, it's having children. He can't have it without her, and she can't have it without him. But the idea is the man must treat his woman, his wife, as an equal, an honor and respect. If you don't do that, you could pray and fast every day of the week. And God ain't going to hear your prayer, man. I don't care how sincere you are. I don't care how many times you come to church. I don't care how many times you come to break bread. But if you are not loving your wife and treating her as an equal, God's not going to hear you. Sorry, boom, just like that. You could say all kinds of things, but boy, she's raw, boy, she's that, she's that. I don't care what you say. There are no exceptions here. You are to regard your wife as a feminine being, someone who is precious. That word has the idea of worth, something of worth. I always like to illustrate it. I have home, at least I had home, a mug. I got a mug. Yeah, we got plenty of mugs, eh? But this goes back to when I had a mug from Dallas Seminary. It had a big, heavy thing made out of clay. And I used to drink coffee. I used to drink tea. I used to drink Coke. Everything out of that. And then when I want to clean it, I just dump it in the sink. You know, wash it. And that's, 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 put it in the washer. That's what you call it? Yeah, washer, dishwasher. <laughs> dishwasher. <laughs> but then Nancy has some china. England. The only reason why I got it because somebody gave it to us for a wedding present. That's the only reason why we got it. But it's expensive stuff. Now I could drink tea out of that. You gotta hold your finger right, but I could drink tea out of that. <laughs> I could drink coke out of that. I could drink coffee out of that. But we don't put that in the dishwasher. Nancy would do turn on the spigot, wash that with hand dry it, and then she put it in the cupboard. Some people even lock it. Isn't that right? Now why? Is it because that cup, piece of china, is weaker? No. It's because it's more precious, more valuable. And that's how God tells us, man, we are to treat our wives. And if you're wondering why God isn't answering your prayer to give you a raise and everything else, that could be it. You're treating her like an old piece of mug. <laughs> How did I get off on that one? Anyway, in this situation, in this situation, 
his role as a lover is compromised. Because the only lover your wife should have is you. And you should be the best lover you can ever be. And the only way you could be that lover is if you recognize that what woman is a feminine being. She's not a male, although you got plenty of them trying to act like male, but she's a feminine being. When you're talking about the weaker, you have to treat her very delicately, very carefully. You have to love her. This is one of the, most, the best verses to teach a man how to love his wife by treating her carefully, regarding her as something precious. And if you really want to hear about how you should treat a wife, now Nancy, please don't talk to anybody after this. <laughs> All right? Come on when we talk in the book of the, the Song of Songs. Where we talk about how a man is supposed to talk to his wife as a lover of his wife. The words they supposedly use. That's some nice words, boy. But Bahamian men don't seem to know their language. Anyway, I wasn't supposed to get into that one. Let's briefly overview now some of the consequences in the church if the male leadership is missing. Let's look at some of the consequences. Remember, just, just trying to lay a foundation for the rest of the messages. As far as consequences in the church if the male does not lead. First of all, its authoritative impact is lost. Why? Because where has, man, where has God placed his symbol of authority in the male? And if the male is not there, that authoritative role and characteristic that God wants to put there is gone. This is so because of the fact that the male is always the representative of God's authority in Scripture. Always. This is not only a church ordinance. This is a creation ordinance. You see. And it has to do with authority. It's in the male. Secondly, and the male is not operating as leader in the church. Its doctrinal integrity is compromised. Why is this? Because it ignores the basic doctrine of the word of God. And that's the leadership of the male. It ignores this fact. And if it does, how can it teach other doctrines with any validity to it, with any power? If you're not observing one of the basic doctrines when it comes to leadership, how can you expect anybody to respect any doctrine you're teaching? This is illustrated in counseling. I go back to one because this is very vivid, talking to a couple. They wanted to get married, they want to have counseling, but, but they were living together. And I said, well, I'll only counsel you if you go live someplace else. You know, one, you stay here, but I can't counsel you as long as you're living together. I says, are you having relationships? Yes, we are. I said, there's no way I'm going to counsel this because I just don't think it's proper. Well, the young lady was willing to do it, but not a man. But she says, she came back to me, but I want you to counsel us anyway. I said, now, I want you to understand what you're saying to me. I believe that purity, before, before marriage, not after, the pure, well, yeah, purity, but you don't know. I believe that purity before marriage is an essential biblical teaching. It is sin if you have sex outside of marriage. So would you agree? Yes. But you're not going to separate. You're not going to go your ways and stop having sex. No. I will say now, why in the world should I try to teach you anything if you're not going to accept one of the most basic things I want to teach? 
It doesn't make sense. That's the same thing when it comes to these doctrines here. How can we teach about leadership and all of these things if we're not practicing ourselves? It just doesn't make sense. You, you lose your doctrinal integrity. But thirdly, the divine picture of the church is also marred. The church is a divinely designed picture of Christ's relationship with the church as his bride, as well as his body. And as a divinely appointed head, both the home and the church, the picture of a woman being the head destroys these pictures altogether. Just destroys them. Make it meaningless. Make them meaningless. But fourthly, its pastoral ministry is weakened. By that I mean, shepherds and scriptures are always pictures as males in the Bible, never females. Especially when it comes to the idea of shepherding the flock of God. The concept of both provider, protector, and leaders of God's people, they're lost. And a woman assumes the role of the leadership of the flock of God purchased with his own blood. He may well do a pastoral ministry as a manifestation of the spiritual gift, but never as an official position in the church. And so I believe that this is the overall basic and essential principle laid down in the Word of God, God's manual for the church and the home related to leadership. The leaders must be men. And in particular, men who are leaders of their own home. Now I'd go so far as to say that a lack of male leadership in the church and involvement in the church either as a leader or otherwise, may well be an evidence of a lack of leadership in the home. You find a man who's not interested in being involved in church activity or don't want to prepare or become, be equipped to be a leader of the church, look at his home life. See who's boss. See how his children is walking. You'll get some idea as to why he's not involved or why he does not want to train to become a leader. It's because his home life is terrible. Examine it. Look at it. See if you can see. Put it to the test. Now this evening, we're going to be looking at the primary leaders of the church. You know, we like to say this at times. You've heard this. We get the kind of leadership we need. You heard that before? Or the kind of government we need? Well, I've sort of adapted that sort of and say this. We get the kind of leadership we need by following God's design and standards for selecting and appointing leaders. However, if we fail to follow God's guidelines, then we will get the leadership we deserve. You understand what I'm saying? If we follow God's guidelines concerning the qualifications lead for leadership, then we get the kind of leader God wants us to have. But if we neglect that and choose man otherwise, then we're going to get the leaders we deserve. That means trouble, it means fighting, it means quarreling all the time. And so the statement, you get the kind of government you deserve, is often used as a means of encouraging citizens to vote for their political leaders. And so with a slight adaptation, it may also be used in a spiritual sense the church leaders in this fashion. We get the kind of leadership we need by following God's design and standards for selecting and appointing our leaders. But if we follow his guidelines, then we will truly get the kind of leadership we deserve. And so I believe that God's guidelines are very clearly and specific, and they state this. There are two divisions of church leadership in Scripture, as we can see. 
The New Testament divides church administrative responsibilities into two major categories, ruling and serving. And those are biblical words, ruling and serving. These are the two divisions of church leadership given in the New Testament. And they have to do with both a position and office as well as a function. Ruling is to be administered by qualified elders. And serving is to be done by qualified deacons. The scriptures very clearly show that. Now, men have distorted this. And tonight I'll show you how they've done that. In fact, we have whole denominations who, based on a distortion of the titles or the roles of elder, pastor, bishop, and so on. You see? There are these two divisions of church leadership within a local church. Those are the two, ruling and serving, elders and deacons. And I might state the principles as it, like in this fashion. Again, I'm laying a foundation for tonight and another rulers. First, elders who rule. Remember now I said elders, pastors, deacons, bishops, overseers, refer to the same person. So when I say elders, I mean pastors. When I say pastors, I mean elders and so on. Elders then, who are also called pastors, bishops, or overseers, are responsible for the overall spiritual direction of the church. The Bible is clear on that. There's no argument with that whatsoever. This involves shepherding, guiding, overseeing, governing, managing or directing, preaching and teaching, assisting the weak and praying for the sick, besides numerous other related tasks. And I mean numerous. I mean numerous. <laughs> Did I say I mean numerous? They have specific spiritual qualifications that they must meet. There's no if. They must you're going to see that. If a man desires this, he must be. And if they are God's man to lead God's people, they must have them. The principle for appointing qualified elders is simply that we recognize those whom the Holy Spirit himself has already appointed to be elders and place them in the church. We'll see that as we go through. We recognize these men through their godly lifestyle. Their character and ministry as clearly outlined in Scripture. We have some uh, forms for you to fill out when you are, for instance, with deacons, when you are nominating someone. When we first had these out, you have all the same. All I did was put the qualifications for deacons where the Bible says. Remember the first time I put it, a lady came to me and said, But Lee, we do this, we ain't got nobody. I said, well, you've got a name of somebody here. Do you know that he is one of the, Have you checked if he has a good reputation with unbelievers? No. But why did you put his name? Well, I see him around church. He seems like a nice guy. That's not a basis for electing or nominating anybody for position. Now, I can only preach what the Bible tells us to preach. Now, how you want to fool around with that, that's up to us. Under you. But this is what the Bible says. Now look at deacons. Deacons are those who serve. The title deacon is the Greek word diakonos, often translated minister or servant. It expresses a servant's relationship to his work rather than to his master. This is a very interesting word. And so although deacons assist the pastors, they are not the pastor's servants. They are God's servants. Serving God's people the same way pastors or elders are doing it. A very important distinction. Due to the oftentimes misrepresentation of these roles and positions, in other words, some churches have actually switched to roles. Really. 
And so we're going to talk about this this evening. I will begin a biblical and historical review of how leaders were first put in place in the, in the local church. Now, tonight I'm going to go start a study, if we don't have too many questions and fights. And we're going to do something I don't think any of you have done before when it comes to leaders. We're going to go look at every reference to elders or deacons in the New Testament. Chronologically. See, sometimes we miss the flow of how God has placed leaders in the church because we read the Bibles the way the books are given and we have the years mixed up. But we're going to do it chronologically. And you're going to be surprised at what you find out. But it's coming from the Word of God. We're going to have history and the biblical truth brought into play here. But let me close today's message by once again saying to the man of this assembly, God has divinely designed you, us, to be leaders of our homes and of our church, of which we are a part. He has clearly outlined what you must do to prepare to assume that role in a way that is pleasing to him and that will guarantee spiritual enrichment of your home and spiritual growth in the local church. So I ask you, I ask you with all sincerity, men, are you willing and ready to be not just men, I hope you are men now, not just men, but good men. And not just good men, but godly men. If this is your heart's desire, then I should see you out tonight. If I don't see you out tonight, <laughs> let's bow just for a word of prayer as we close this section. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your manual. Forgive us. We so often disregard it and put our own ideas into place. But help us, we pray, when it comes to leadership now in our assembly and for male leadership, that your Holy Spirit will truly teach us. You've given us an, an anointing to know truth from error. Help us, we pray, to be subject to the Holy Spirit so that we might truly be able to discern what you're saying to us. And then give us, we pray, the grace and the strength to do whatsoever you say to us. And all of God's people said, 